you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. It is the Tuesday edition, so we have another special guest in the house. We have my, I like to say my friend, Adam Lieberman. We got to meet first when he was the director of public and media relations for the Akron uh, Rubber Ducks. I almost said Eros. I had that catch there. And uh, you've heard me talk about him on the show many times. Uh, Very intelligent, a long history in baseball. Uh, I feel like we had some games that were not uh, the most entertaining where we spent at least four to five innings uh, discussing uh, deep level prospects, analytics and approaches. Uh, It was always an entertaining time, even if the product wasn't the best on the field. Uh, Very knowledgeable. Started out with the Braves in the 90s, uh, moved, like I said, with the Indians. You've been with both those teams in various roles. You've been an official scorer. You've kind of seen it all. So it's you know, really interesting person. I'm just going to throw it to Adam so he can tell you his Twitter handle. I always end up messing those up. So I'm going to sure. let, you know, now that we've done the introduction, where pe- where can people find you? I'm at uh, A-Leebs18, A-L-E-E-B-S-1-8 uh, on, the, on Twitter. Um, y- you know, as you mentioned, I do do some fill and official scoring. So if you hear Matt Underwood complain about one of my calls or Tom Hamilton, I guess you can ask me about it. And, uh, I'll tell you what I thought, if fair enough. Uh, I, I have no issue hiding behind any of that. Uh, you know, you did a pretty good job, Cap. So I would say I, a little tweak, the Braves uh, from 2009. So uh, I, mean, I, I got there, of course, after all the, the World Series, like literally the, right after all the World Series. I got there in 2000 uh, for the All-Star game, and uh, which most folks didn't realize till this year, 01 was the last playoff series they won before this year. So, uh, but it was great, great time all the same, but, uh, uh, and arrows is fine as well. Uh, the first year we were there was when Ken Babby bought the team in, uh, 2013 season was my first year there of the seven and it was the arrows. So, uh, fair, fair game all, all around. You just have all those connections and talking with like, you know, you, you know, you knew, uh, Glavin, you knew you got to be around Andrew Jones. You have probably, probably some of the best Andrew Jones stories in all of baseball from the time that like, so for me, like, I know you're not old enough to have been with them in the nineties, but in my mind, it's like you were there with the nineties guys post the nineties. You got to, to kind of experience some of that. And, uh, oh, it's crazy. It, it blew my mind. You know, I'm getting there and, and you see these guys. I mean, Let's see, 91, the first year they did that was uh, the worst of first. I was sophomore in high school. So, you know, by the time I'm getting there, these are the guys I've been watching on TV. These are the guys, um, you, you know, I kind of grew up with too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to kid you. It was pretty cool and, and intimidating at first for sure, walking in that, that locker room. Uh, you know, who am I at that point? But I always thought it was fun that like you would talk about them like you still had contact with some of them. It may not be like you'd ever talk to them, but like, you know, you got to know these players enough where uh, I remember you talking about at one point in time, I won't say the pitcher's name, but like there was a pitcher in the Indian system that you're like, I think he should talk to to Glavin. I think they would really connect like you were talking about making that connection to even help get that pitcher more information. And it's things like that that was like, wait a second, you know, these, it, it, that was kind of my first, some of my first mind blowing moments when I was in the press box with you. I uh, appreciate it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part of the cool part of the game why we all kind of get into it. You know, there's the, 
long hours and and the other grind part of the game but you know something parts you can't beat whether it's Jim Leland humming the chicken dance song behind you in the press box during a game and uh, in the Akra press box or talking with uh, uh, Pete Vukovic, who is, uh, you know, 1982 Cy Young winner, but who's also, uh, you know, Clue Haywood in Major League and uh, just sharing stories. I mean, that's the part I kind of missed then in Akron and even now was the time in the dugout before games when Bobby Cox would hold court with the writers and uh, other players and tell stories and go over that. And you just were a wall, uh, you know, wallflower just kind of sitting there in the corner, listening to all of it and taking it all in. And in some ways so surreal because these people have done all these things that you watched on TV. Um, you know, you, you you're supposed to play it straight, but when uh, in 2000, the all-star game came to Atlanta, I was my first year, my intern season and at one point, and one of the days leading up to the All-Star game, uh, I was sitting in the dugout, and on each side of me, I had uh, Reggie Jackson and Frank Robinson. And at the time, I think they were somewhere around like fifth and sixth on the home run list. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like 1,200 home runs next to me. How cool is this? But meanwhile, you have to keep, you have yeah. to keep cool. So you know, we're all fans too. And uh, uh, so, in some ways, having to keep that fandom down is, is uh, you know, one of the prices you have to pay, I guess. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, made me think of when Akron hosted the All-Star Game. Obviously, we didn't have those level of uh, of names, but it was still the the logistics of, like, you had to bring in risers into the press box to fit us all in, into that little press box to fit us all in there. And, uh, you know, when we had the Celebrity All-Star Game and just sitting in the press box or getting a chance to, to you know, I as someone who uh, grew, you know, I was a, in the early in the 90s baseball was my teenage years so like when carlos baerga is sitting there like shaking my hand when i ask him a question it's hard to be like okay yeah you can't you know it's like you know i know i'm never gonna ask for an autograph i'm never crossing that line that is the line where you are no longer a journalist but there's that level of you where you're like okay this is really cool yeah. you know and it, it what happened it changes as you get older and as you stay in the business i always talk about it being uh, seeing the wizard behind the curtain and, and it kind of losing a little bit of its luster that way but you know i still got a chance i always talk about uh, there was a time uh, one of the first times we went back the braves went back to uh, minnesota after the 91 series not we only one of the first couple times in interleague play uh, we had smolts on the team and and i was able to get john and jack morris to speak or to meet and talk and uh, they were talking in the hallway of the tunnel and i kind of was in the staircase leading to the down to the field not really eavesdropping but kind of and then really feeling like a little kid and, and thrilled i was able to set it up and it was one of the first times i guess they'd spoken at length or spoken at all since that and most folks didn't realize john was from the detroit area so jack morris in a lot of ways was his hero and to be locked in that amazing game seven and that world series uh, they go down the way that did. It, it, that was one of those moments. But as you get older, it changes. You you get a different perspective on it. And, and you know, there's, what's cool for what you were able to do with Carlos Baerga and I was able to do with some of the people I was able to meet on, on the tail end of, of my time in Atlanta was those are the ones since you're growing up, you have that fandom and that hero uh, love for that, that you can't replace when you get older. And, and especially when you are sometimes twice their age. Yeah, you you definitely have to see it all. Basically, everyone who was on the Cleveland Indians roster who they didn't sign as a free agent or trade once they were in the majors, uh, Adam has known. So that's uh, you know a nice little uh, bonus or you know way to transition is like going through so many names with the Indians. Um, 
I mean, everyone on this roster, pretty much Adam has had some exposure to. I always talk about, uh, before the show, I didn't mention one of the names I'm going to ask you about now. Okay. Uh, but I always tell the story uh, about my experience with Shane Bieber in the minors mm-hmm. and how uh, I'm always going to root for the guy because I just remember him being quite possibly the, I don't want to say down to earth, but he was just like a please and thank you. Can Do you mind if I, like, just seemed on paper in the two or three interviews I did with him or talking uh, one of the nicest human beings on earth. And I'm sure you probably got, what was it like? Cause Shane Bieber wasn't there super long. He kind of, he hit you guys and that's when his star really kind of exploded. But uh, the unanimous Cy Young award winner, the first uh, MLB triple crown pitcher in 50 plus years. What was your experiences? Like, like I said, you guys caught him right as he was starting to get that wave of, I know I listed him as the number two prospect based on his half season in Akron that year. And I was still incorrect because I had him at two and not one. It's kind of, it's just a crazy story. So 17, he finishes up there and everyone had seen his walk rate and and he, and he pitched well. And so he was our opening day starter in 2018. And this is look, look where we're at now. So he's our opening day starter in 2018 coming out. And like you said, he, he, he just hit the ground running. I remember it was early season. He's a California guy, went to UC Santa Barbara. You're wondering how well he would pitch in that cold weather, um, move the ball in the zone. Would he be able to do that coming out of camp? And, like, the first game, I think he threw six scoreless innings and just, you know, hit the ground running. There was no hold, hold uh, holding him back at that point. And a year later, I mean, almost – just barely over a time, a year left after he left the Ducks, he's the AL All Star Game MVP, and and then a year later he's uh, winning the Cy Young and the Triple Crown, as you said. So um, he he just was a real calm, chill guy. Didn't let stuff rattle him. Uh, understood, I think that that big picture, that California chill. Uh, kind of, I always laughed at him and Clevenger would remind me of like one of those old '90s sports posters. If you would have done it with them with surfboard standing there in like jam shorts with like a baseball glove and like the Indians hat in front of like a you know a fire Corvette kind of on the you know the the dude the two dudes. I can picture it. I can see yeah, that one. Easy going, chill. Like really, we're great with the press and what we needed. Uh, even though I knew it probably wasn't his favorite thing, you know, he understood it was, it was part of it. He understood the ups and downs of things. And, and really, you know, sometimes that happens because guys go to college. It, it makes a difference. Sometimes uh, we saw some of the, the maturity issue, not issues, I don't want to say, but maturity levels different. Some of those guys that went to Virginia, you know, a couple of years were very mature that came out the, the Packers and the uh, Pappies and, and the Will Roberts is the, you know, those guys were such uh great leaders and good guys in the, in the clubhouse too. So, um, you know, you know, I, I don't know how much of that was him going to college, but, but Shane really knew what he was capable of doing and he listened and, and he worked and I mean, gosh, I, it's, it's amazing what he's done. And, uh, with, with his personality, you know, the Indians got one that, uh, that they may be able to resign here and, and have on board to lead the staff for a while. Hopefully. That's that's my number one hope for this offseason is uh, they can somehow convince him to sign. Uh, you mentioned Virginia. Why don't I use yeah. that as a chance to talk about for fans who are following the podcast and are curious about the Rule 5. You know, uh, when you, you know, most of those guys, you know, Nolan, you know, Ernie, you know, Eli, Ernie being another one of the Virginia guys. Um, I'm trying to think. Who else? Um, uh, you wouldn't know Gabriel because they just traded for him. So no one got to really know him and you right. wouldn't know uh 
Who's I mean, uh, Vargas never got up to double A, but those three, the yeah, you know, M Morgan might be the most unassuming guy uh, <laughs> I've ever seen amongst players. I I've told the story on the podcast. He's just you know he's not a big guy. He no. has one of the best changeups in baseball, but I thought he was a clubhouse worker at first look. And then I saw him and you saw that he's built like he is a strongly built guy, but just assume based on height. But yeah, if you, uh, you know, just spend a little bit of time talking about Nolan, Eli and Ernie and uh, sure. experiences with those three. Very different personalities, all three. Um, so yeah, Nolan is the big uh, type a go smiley guy in the clubhouse, leading the way, cheering guys on, um, I can't imagine anyone not wanting to be his teammate. Um, you know, a bit goofy, but you know, it's going to, he'll grow out of that. Uh, challenge he'll have is, you know, what they decide to do with him on the field is he, you know, I know they've been working with him in the outfield. He, he did. Okay. Third, the issue he has, you know, it being his size, you know, he's a tall guy, six, five, six, six, trying to get down, uh, the glove down quick on the, on the hard hit balls down at his feet. But, uh, you know, I was impressed by his arm, his accuracy from the position. Um, I, I'm sure he can play a pretty good outfield. He's a good athlete. And, and I was impressed by how he uh, sprayed the ball alley to alley really in Akron and his plate discipline when he got to Akron, which I know a lot of people thought would be the case. Um, so, I mean, he showed a lot of promise for a young guy coming up. It's not surprising he moved up the prospect list and that they protected him. And then um, Eli, like you said, the, the changeup's amazing. I think what Eli gets is, you know, I think people underestimate him. I think, like you said, he's 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 thick. He's stronger than people will see. Um, his, he's been – one of the things I think with Eli is he's very familiar with, like you see with some athletes who have athlete parents, like Patrick Mahomes or some of these others who are comfortable around the athletic scene. Uh, Eli's dad uh, was involved in the sports media industry at its highest levels with USA Today and some of those. And I think Eli understands that kind of, of stuff. He, I think he doesn't want to get into the braggadocios or any kind of – so he's not his own cheerleader. And so, you know, like you said, he doesn't jump out at you on the metrics, but he may come be coming along at the right time for the Indians where they're trying to, you know, cut some payroll, give some young guys a chance – see what they can do. And, and, you know, there's going to be an opportunity for some guys to seize that and he can keep his pitch count down. Um, and then the last one is Ernie. Now, Ernie, Ernie's fiery. Ernie, Ernie's got a lot of spear. Ernie's hilarious. Ernie's, uh, you know, I learned a lot about him as, as it went on. You know, he, he's, he's wicked funny. He's smart. Um, he, I, I mean, he's very quick defensively and in some ways almost too quick when he first got to Akron, like trying to get the ball almost out of his mitt too fast, but uh, ahead of his footwork. But uh, you know, he, he's hit everywhere he's gone. Uh, if he can just, you know, just same kind of thing as you see, you remember our some of our conversation with Tyler Krieger is I'd like to see Ernie start, you know, driving the ball a little bit bigger, better, but he'll get a little bit stronger. And as, as you see, you know, triple a in the majors, the ball tends to go a little bit further and, you know, he's a solid multi-position uh, infielder that they'll be able to have minimum and a utility guy with the uh, the team they're going to have here at least the next, like, couple of years going forward. And, you know, I'd rather a guy like that who they raise through their system that they know play than, you know, someone else they sign for a free agent just to fill in for a year or two on it, you know, a, a 25th, 6th guy on the, on the roster. I'll uh, also add in on Ernie Clement that uh, – when I was working on some prospect stuff, uh, 
last year at, when I was visiting my mom and my sister was there, that was the player. She goes, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Ernie Clement got the, uh, the attention right away. That was the one that you... Ernie's a funny guy. I, and, and I always remember he did this video in his car, you know, a selfie of him about hitting bombs. And, and I think to that point in the year, he'd hit none and he'd been hurt and he'd just come off the DL. And that night he hit a homer and I don't think he hit another one for weeks after. So, you know, just that kind of guy, funny, self-deprecating, good teammate, all of them uh, good teammates. And, you know, I, I we really – you know, we had a, a shooting star, too, that came through in the seven years I was in Akron. But none of those guys, I can say, made it to the majors. You know, the Indians do such a good job finding character guys and finding guys that fit their mold. Um, even guys who wind up going to other organizations, Willie Castro or Eric Haas, you know, really good guys. Um, you know, and then you see guys coming up the ladder, the Daniel Johnsons and those, those people now who, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to be rooting for. Yeah, I, you know, I want to give some credit to you as well. Uh, there are a few names that I wrote down that stood out to me is, uh, cause I would always be, cause you're there every day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can, uh, Adam can attest to the fact that I was, uh, asking him about Zach Plesak a little and Cam Hill a little incessantly before anyone else was, those were two guys that, uh, I talked about that I, I had a good feeling about. Uh, but Adam was a huge proponent of Pete Alonso, called him the best first baseman. I think you had said you had seen in years. And this was before he was the Mets top prospect. This was kind of at the beginning of his ascent, but he, you saw him and he was one of those guys you were, I don't know if I'd ever heard you been that effusive about a player on another team over the course of like the, la the few years I was there. He was the best hitter I saw to that point in my time in the Eastern League. Um, th that was when Tebow had just come to town and everyone was there to watch Tebow and, uh, the rumble ponies and Pete Alonzo just destroyed us. And from foul pole to foul pole, every ball hard, every ball liner, every, just, it, it's very strange in baseball at the double a level or, um, or higher to have a situation where you feel the hitter is in charge or dictating the count to the pitcher. And I think that's how I felt. And he just raked them. And I think I tweeted something to that fact is everyone here to see Tebow, but they should be watching Peter Alonzo because this guy's just killing it. And um, just good for him. You know, I know he, I, he wasn't their uh, first baseman chosen to be at that point. And, and he just sees the job. I, and um you see what he can do, man. That kid is, is fun to watch. Uh, you know, sometimes you get, you get right. And, and you guess, right. Um, other guys that impressed some guys, you know, didn't like, you know, who, you know it was very underwhelming when his time in double a was Giolito. I think, you know, whatever he's figured out in his game, he's mm -hmm. done that recently since he left double a and, and he didn't really pop at that point. Um, you know, but then guys like Luis Severino was amazing. I think he struck 13, 14, rubber ducks out and, and, and you just were like, okay, we don't need to see this guy anymore. You know, I, you, you'll probably remember the actual year off the top of your head. I'm, I'm not very good now at putting years to seasons, but I remember one time I showed up uh, being a teacher. Sometimes I have a late start. I wouldn't get there till June regularly for games. And I was like, boy, this roster um, rough year for us. And you're like, slow down. Like there's two names here that aren't on any lists and you need to, Look like it was only maybe a month and a half into the season, but you were already like, there are two guys here that are not top 10 anywhere. And you have to know. And those two were Clevenger and Yandy Diaz. 
And over the course of that summer, all of us in the press box um, slowly but surely fell in love with their potential and their talent. And, you know, the rest of the world caught on to Clevenger quickly. But man, we had to, Yandi, basically until he left, we had to keep the hope alive there. But those two, like I said, it was a season where we didn't have high expectations. And I, I don't mean that to bash anyone who was there, but their no, top no, 10 no. prospects, they didn't, I don't think there was any of the top 10 in double A to start that year. I think uh, maybe Eric Gonzalez was the highest rated guy to start the year that year. And, and he so. expected, not much was expected of Eric at that point. But I think everyone's infatuated with Yandi's muscles, let's be honest, mm-hmm. that guy and, and his name. And and um, the stare, the whole deal. But I mean, I've never seen, and I think a lot of guys, the the plate discipline that you have to start double A is the prospect weed out level, and to show up at double A and lead the league in on base percentage and walks. Um, and I think he did it in triple A, and I think he did it. You know, he did it like three different levels, but he did it the first year in double A, and, and that's just ridiculous. And you know, I think he, he had underrated. I think the Baseball America had him uh, rated in, in one of the capacities at third base, and I always think he got undersold at the position there in Cleveland. But uh, he, you know, his whole big thing, the problem was Yandy was he always went out the other way. Um, you know, I think there's there's two ways of thought, I guess. There's people who have the game come to them and or the other way around. And sometimes you get guys when you get to double a and it's prospect level and they're six, five, 230 pounds. And they think it's, think they're supposed to hit 20 homers at that point, start getting pull happy, start turning over, rolling over the ball, start getting into bad habits and it, it could ruin them. Um, whereas Yandi, I think wasn't going to compromise his game, which was fine. Sure. You're going to hit 320, but you know, you may only hit a handful of homers and that's what was going to delay his call up. And then you see his size, Man, if he gave up 15, 20 points in, in, in average and, and be willing to swing with a little more launch angle, it'd be amazing what that guy can do. Um, so I, I, I was, I admittedly was bombed when the Indians traded him. I, I wish that guy had, had they'd found a spot for him. And uh, and as far as Clev, I was bummed they traded him too. But I, I understand Clev thing, just like with Bieber, not a lot of guys can attack the strike zone with movement and get misses in the strike zone and those guys could do it and is 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 quirky i mean the guys um you know people saw what they the motion the weird motion in the majors but he had two or three four of those that he would try out while things were going well in the double a like i remember he had something going well and he had some pretty good era at the time and and he started one game where he came out and he would he would pick his leg up and stop and then pitch like in the middle of his delivery and I remember saying, I was like, most people change their game when things are going bad. Why would you change it when it's going good? And he said that they were working on a exercise in the bullpen about keeping his balance and weight back. And it was t- similar to that. And he liked the way it felt as the pitching. He decided to take it out to the mound and he, and he did pretty well and did it had a handful of starts that way. And then somewhere he was rocking and you could just see the movement in the arm. And, you know, but that said, you know, he had arm issues in, in, with the angels he's had arm issues now and i think a lot of people don't understand when they hear that 10 percent failure rate when it comes to tommy john surgery it doesn't mean that they're not able to fix the arm or the person can't pitch again it means that that person probably won't be able to will need it a second or time or more that they're really not able to make it work and my concern with clev is that his stuff may have been too good for his elbow. It's like John Smoltz's uh, fork ball and his elbow that ripped it up 
and he had the couple surgeries at Dr. Andrews. I think he has basically a wing there at Dr. Andrews' office, or even a Kerry Wood and led to his uh, elbow. And and when you have strange mechanics and the ball moves all over, you know, the, you, you, while your youth is there and your your health is there, you can do some stuff. But it'll be interesting to see if he comes back as the same pitcher long term. Yeah, I uh, you know just to go back to something, uh, I remember something that stood out with Yandi. Uh, and this is probably something you would appreciate doing media relations, getting, when you're in double a, you're not necessarily the biggest media, you know, where a lot of blogs and sub sites and some players very rarely, but there are some who definitely do not like, uh, want to give us the type of day. And for someone like Yandi who had a language barrier, I don't think he ever once turned down or said no to it. Like he would go find like if you were busy, he would he'd be the guy who would go get a translator for himself. Like he would, he's like, this is part of being a professional. I need to do this. And he would, Nelly Rodriguez, to give him a shout out, helped a lot that year because you wanted to talk with Yandi often, but Nelly and Nelly was great with that. But I always just appreciated, like, I understand I am not working for a big paper, but I always appreciated the level of professionalism that Yandi had in those those moments. There's guys who embrace that. They know that's part of it. And if they want to be where they want to you know, be, celebrity or star player or with the team, that's just the reality of it. You know, They do, thankfully, now Major League Baseball has interpreters at the Major League level for uh, Spanish speakers. And the Indians do a great job with the classes. But Yandi, just like Jose Ramirez, were non-existent in English. I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't there at all. And he was very friendly, but – it. it um, I did appreciate the effort and, you know, not everyone's going to do that and, and want to do that. Um, I guess it helps when you have a good game. Um, you know, sometimes guys aren't going to want to do it when they, they don't, or if they don't pitch well and they don't speak uh, English, they, they may not want to, but um, it shows the character. It's a long season and, and it's a maturing process for all those guys, especially double a. And um, you know, the most challenging one, which Thankfully, technology come in that was with Yu Chang. Um, I was able to use Google Translate um, a couple times where I was able to write something out and translate it into uh, Thai and have him read it and be able to give me a response and be able to engage with him and, and do some stuff. And, uh, I, I, and that, that actually was really, really cool from something when I was in Atlanta that would never have been the case. And in a lot of ways, you know, it's a big regret not learning Spanish because there was people there the whole time or a lot of the time who you don't really get to know on more than a you know very cursory level. Before I let you go here, as I've already held you for uh, over 20 minutes that I promised, but uh, I always like to get, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, normally I'd say a sleeper prospect, but I feel like you probably know all the, you know, we, we kind of know all the prospects that you've got to see since we're two years out. So I guess the question instead becomes like, uh, who is a, a favorite uh, prospect who maybe didn't hit, and who is a who is a prospect now that you're kind of pulling for maybe a little bit more? I guess is there a player who really made an impact who still uh, won in the minors, or is there a prospect who you're like he had everything together? I don't know what happened. You know, there, there's guys who come in with the physical skills who who don't make it. There's guys who work hard and overcome a lot of things who don't make it. Um, the guy I'm rooting for who's still currently going for it. And 
hopefully he gets a chance with the way the Indians are going, and and I don't see why not. Is Kai Tom? I, I the the little he, he's a he's a great athlete. I hope people don't sell him short. Most folks don't realize he was uh, Marcus Mariota's backup quarterback in high school in Hawaii. I didn't know that. And you know the guy's an amazing athlete, and um, he does. You know, a lot of times with those small guys, they they typecast him as Ollie Linton or Lance Johnson, and he is not that. And he he absolutely has more pop, and absolutely I think could make it as a third or fourth outfielder on a team. Uh, there's no reason with the Indians' power out there and what they're trying to do in in the outfield that he couldn't uh, get some time up there this year and and. I would love to see what he can do. Um, I root for that that guy. Um, always wish Joe Sever would have got a shot. There's not really a better guy, a better leader um, that we, we had. To watch that guy evolve, uh, played a, a, a poor third base, came back to camp the next year, um, had uh, volunteered to be catcher, to try to catch in spring training and, and – um, put on the tools of ignorance and, and try to make himself more multidimensional. And he came to camp and played a lot of third that year and was fantastic with the rubber ducks. He played great third, maybe one of the best third base seasons we had there and, and hit and made the all-star team that year. But he, you know, Joe maximized everything out of his talent. And, and when you get to certain organizations that are in their window, you know, you're not going to get some of those chances. And that happens, you know, in different teams, you know, whether it's Todd Betts being behind Jim Tomey and Todd and Travis Fryman at third base back in the Arrows days in the, in the mid nineties, or whether it's Clint Frazier trying to get through with the Yankees right now. Um, you know, sometimes it's opportunity. Sometimes uh, it's bad timing with guys. Um you know, there's there's guys who you know. I'm I, I Tristan McKenzie. I'm rooting for Tristan. Tristan's as good of a guy. You know, he's he's absolutely everything the Indians would want. He's he's a good guy. He's funny. He's personable. He's marketable. He'd be great for the uh, community uh, relations department and, and a great teammate. Um, you, you know, the those are the people I'm I'm rooting for. They they do a great job of of, uh, of having them there. Uh, don't overlook. We only saw him briefly with uh, in Akron, but uh, the uh, Scott Moss. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, lefty. I'm interested to see what he can do. Uh, I, you know, I think he's one of those guys who, like Clevenger and some of the others, have come to the Indian system where the Indians had some things they identified in him and wanted him to work on. And and I think uh, you'll see some improvement from where he was. And and I think he's got a shot, especially as we were saying, like where other guys are going to get some chances. I think he's got a shot to make a difference too, just like Eli. Yeah. That depth is a, it's a nice thing to have. I mean, there was those times in the, what early 2010s where the sixth or seventh starter was not necessarily even known. Like I can't oh. remember who they traded for, but I remember they bought someone who never made, never pitched in the big leagues, but they bought someone to pitch in triple a. Like just years growing up. I hope I wish they had a four starter, let alone six or seven. <laughs> It's a it's a nice uh, situation to definitely have. Uh, we could obviously go on for like another hour. I feel like easily we've barely scratched the surface. We, I will be sure to have Adam on the show again at some point, but uh, I don't want to monopolize all of his time this evening. And uh, it is a long off season, which gives us plenty of opportunities for me to bother you again to come on. But again, thank you very much. Thank Let them know again here at the end of the conversation uh, after our talk here how that where they can find you again on Twitter. 
Sure, I'm at Aleebs, A-L-E-E-B-S, 1A, Aleebs18 on Twitter. Uh, again, thank you for being my guest this week on the uh, WKYC Cleveland Locked On Indians podcast. Uh, like I said, Adam is a great follow, very, very full of information. You're not going to regret it. Uh, thank you all for listening. And as always, go Tribe. <laughs>